Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm your host, Josh Anderson, Assistant Professor of Art at Mount Mary University. Today we're joined by Betsy Alwyn and Kate Casanova. They will be discussing their origin stories as sculptors, why they use the materials they use, and how they teach material in their sculpture courses. Betsy Alwyn teaches in the Sculpture Department at Minneapolis College of Art and Design, teaching foundations, 3D, installation, and sculpture. This summer, she finished an outdoor public commission that was really challenging for her, both physically and logistically. She's very pleased with it, and it will be unveiled at the end of September at Franconia Sculpture Park in Schaefer, Minnesota. Kate Casanova is an assistant professor of sculpture at the University of Denver. She uses a wide range of materials, such as fungi, silicone, and video, to explore the subject of the post-human body. Betsy and Kate, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks Josh. Josh. Good to be here. So should we begin with uh, your origin stories? Yeah, that yeah, sounds good. So. Um, okay, so origin stories in relation to material. Um, so I grew up in northern Minnesota in a very rural town. And my parents moved up there because they wanted to live in the northern woods and um, and they love animals. And so I, my... My upbringing was surrounded by animals like horses and dogs and cats and rabbits and snakes. And many of the animals were our companions that we cared for. But then there were, of course, many in the sort of woods that I would observe as well. So um, when I think about materiality in my own practice, um, I really go back to the very beginning and see my exposure to these non-humans as really supporting not only the subject matter, but um, the engagement with non-human bodies as being really centered to how I see the world materially. Um, so uh, so starting there, I, um, I went to art school thinking that maybe I would do something like furniture design and really fell in love with sculpture um, in my first sculpture class uh, and realized that there's this whole world of, um, of people who explore both material and ideas in this really fluid and engaging way. And so um, I think about that, that sort of discovery um, whenever I'm teaching and, uh, and try to use whatever that entry point is for the students, like that, that moment of engagement for me with material as a way to sort of energize their own curiosity. And we can talk more about how I do that specifically. But in my own practice now, um, I bounce around between a lot of different types of materials to explore ideas of um, what I call the post-human body. Um, and I, there's a long series of work that I, I worked on where I was growing mushrooms out of objects like chairs or um, or a car as a way of looking at um, bodies as material. So fun, fungi, for example, as um, a non-human organism that's capable of transforming cultural objects like a chair or a car into themselves. Um, and so looking at that mater material transformation for its poetic um, possibilities and uh, the way it can be a metaphorical stand-in for um, the human body, even. Uh, and currently, I'm I'm working with more synthetic materials, um, plastics and silicones and resins, and found objects to create sculptures that I think of as hybrid bodies that are human and non-human. I want them to appear sort of porous. They they look like maybe they're both 
the inside and outside of something um, to get at these ideas of the post-human body, but also gesture towards the way that our our bodies um, are, are becoming uh, inundated with things like bits of plastic, micro micro particles of plastic, and um, that line between self and other and sentient and non-sentient is is really pretty blurred and um, and that has implications for how we think about ourselves in relation to the world and um, and ultimately the survival of our species. I think about that a lot lately. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so I would say that is um, my origin story in as quick of a version as I hope to be able to tell it. <laughs> That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, when I think about it, there's some overlap between your origin story and mine. And we both come from Minnesota and you come from northern Minnesota and I come from um, the Twin Cities area, although rural um, area around the Twin Cities. And I had a similar experience growing up where I was always building things. My dad was a mechanical engineer and he had a lot of tools and I would just take his tools and do things or I would go out in the woods and I would collect sticks and I would build things but until I got to school and took three-dimensional design it never occurred to me that you could actually do that as a profession and so 3D was sort of that class that changed my life and then um, I mean fast forward after graduate school um, being in New York I, I was making a lot of um, project-based work and um, it was going to sites and reacting to sites and designing um, sculptures that sometimes used solar power or um, water power something that was um, natural to animate them or to actually more reflect back the idea that this energy is kind of all around us and so after about 10 years of that I realized that I was kind of unhappy being the engineer <laughs> that I wanted to get back into the studio but I didn't really have any access to it somehow I kept making things and puttering around the studio and it was frustrating and I wasn't making anything that I liked and I came back to Minnesota during the summer to visit my dad and I found this giant chicken of the woods mushroom it was gigantic and, and it was like a rosebud it was not one that was growing on a tree it was emerged from the ground and it was it was like it was a giant orange and red rose and it wrecked me because when I looked at it as a sculptor I thought I can't make anything like this I can't make anything this beautiful I can't make anything this spontaneous this seems to embody um, uh, that kind of ephemeralness and that kind of, you know, if you didn't walk in the woods at that time, you would miss it. And it was there at that sort of happenstance time that I saw this and I experienced it. And I just thought, I can't make that. I, I can't make that kind of thing happen. I can't make that kind of magic as a sculptor, or at least that was my idea at the time. So I went <laughs> back to New York even more sort of devastated and just tried to make this mushroom <laughs> basically out of paper and lace and liquid slip and I fired it and it 
all the paper and the lace burned away and it left this beautiful, impossibly fragile shell of a dilapidated thing. It didn't even really look like the mushroom. It was fine. You know, it was, but it, it, and it was a big, huge failure, but I thought, okay, this gives me some ideas. And it just kind of led me to actually go back into a studio practice and, and take a break from doing the um, project-based work and go a little bit deeper into my own psyche, into my own needs actually as an artist and, and do the meditation and work with materials and think about material, especially ceramic, which I'm not a ceramic artist, but I work with a lot of different materials and, and sort of revisit that in, in the cast and hand-built sense and, and see ceramics as this material that responds to you directly and um, can take the form of, you know, you, you aren't really limited when you think about ceramics, you think of something maybe limited, but you're not limited by its history at all. So it's, it's interesting to explore that as coming from a non-ceramics background and think of it also as a material that can be combined with other materials. And so that sort of led me to explore these ideas of um, beauty, which I, I had to give myself permission to make beautiful things and, <laughs> and go back into that and think about beauty, think about fragility. And, you know, I have to say, maybe it's a midlife kind of question, like, you know, how fragile and strong am I? You know, how, how do I embody that? And I'm, I think I'm still answering those questions and, and always being challenged by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Betsy, um, your story also parallels the shift for me. Um, I can totally relate to that that need at some point, you know, the mushroom series that I was working on um, was very, very technical. And I, I got to a point where I just got burnt out by, um, you know, the failures and, uh, and, and that process of being sort of this technical engineer, not feeding what it actually was that I wanted to be doing in the studio. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so there was this, this shift towards working with material and, um, in a way where it became a more about uh, direct engagement with the hands and um, and looking to what it is that the actual material does in relation to forms for its poetic um, potential uh, that was much more generative. It's like I, I can relate to that idea of like it's what it's what I needed <laughs> in the studio as the next step of exploration. And I, I would really be interested in going back to making work that involves more biological organisms or gener- generative systems. But, um, you know, I think I would like to do it in, in a collaborative way if I return to it, where I'm partnering with somebody who works in science or engineering um, to bring not only that skill set, but um, the, the background as well and a new set of ideas. That'd, that'd be really exciting. So uh, tell us about how you approach material in your sculpture classes, whether that's in a foundation class like 3D design or in the beginning level of sculpture. For me, when I'm teaching 3D, I'm thinking about 3D as an access point to all things three-dimensional. So architecture, um, furniture design, sculpture, product design, and I'm, it's, I'm not really an evangelist for sculpture in that class, you know, 
Um, although, I mean, I recognize that I'm a sculptor, so I'm going to be a little biased in, in maybe some of the things I select, but I try to keep it open so we can actually talk about the bigger realm that affects sculpture. And so materially, I think what I try to give my students is access to very um, basic skills. And some of those basic skills, of course, I mean, and this has a product of also where I teach in our curriculum, um, basic skills would include, you know, how to work with wood. And so hand tools, many students are coming to college now, they have no idea how to run a drill. Um, <laughs> or anything about joinery. So, you know, we do that in my first project this year is, you know, working with sheet steel and, and quarter inch rod. And, you know, a lot of them, are, you know, have professed that they're really scared of it. And I think for me, having them work, you know, it's not as important to me that they weld perfectly. I mean, that would come with time, it takes time, but they learn, something about themselves and that they make a leap into confidence that it isn't that scary and actually it's very powerful to be able to bend metal I mean this is my experience with metal like it, just being able to bend it to your will is something that I find really enjoyable and I think I share that with the students and um, also it's not just about materials specific specifically but how to think through materials so found objects or found materials and how to create your own logic and your own voice for working with them and I, I think students don't often because they don't have the skills basic skills with materials such as wood or metal I think it's more difficult when they don't have those to make a leap to problem solving with say you know styrofoam or you know whatever casting you know it's just there has to be this kind of genuine um thinking through like what material means and and how you can take material and transform it into something that is it's at once itself and maybe something else and I, I, that for me that's kind of exciting whether it's thinking about you know um uh, the cell phone in your hand and you know how that feels and why it feels different when you don't have a case on it and you know all of that like thinking about the way you physically interact with things and how you visually touch texture and, and all of that so that's that's where I come from um, at least in 3D. Mm -hmm. Yeah I can talk about that intro level as well so I teach a class called 3D Approaches which is pretty similar although we don't have pipelines into design programs it's just within um, the studio art department, uh, and you know, I would second a lot of what you say, Betsy. And I should also add that we both taught at MCAD at the same time, you and I, in uh, the foundations <laughs> yeah. program and some other sculpture courses. So, um, so I think we we do have shared knowledge about um, certain like pedagogical styles. Uh, one of the things that I try to get my foundation students to think about is to look at material and first understand really what it is, where it comes from, and what it is that that material is capable of doing. Um, I think sometimes they come in with these ideas like, I want to make this material do this. <laughs> and either it's not possible or it's sort of coming from this top-down approach where um, they're, they're starting with the idea rather than... Um, maybe thinking more deeply about the material and what 
what can be, what is the best thing to do with that material. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I try to get them to work with the material as opposed to just thinking about shaping it to their will. Um, and then I'm teaching a class this year for the first time called Open Media Studio, which is for our um, our majors. And so I have painters and sculptors and photographers in this class. Um, and the assignment that they're currently working on is open-ended and centered around this idea of materials. So they are the, the call is to re-examine um, their practice through one project where all of the material that they're using is is very um, intentionally considered. So whether they're thinking about where um, where it comes from, whether they're using, like if, if they're a painter and they're using canvas, for example, well, there are many different surfaces that you can paint on. Even the canvas itself can be sourced from different locations and how does that um, that shift of where you get that material from or what it is that you use how does that change the content of the work um, so uh, it, it's this project is a work in process and I'll have to report back on <laughs> final <laughs> results sure. um, but so far uh, yeah it's exciting to see the wheels turning and the hands and the eyes <laughs> Well, and I'm sort of interested too, Kate, because you're talking about the 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 post-human body. I know we talk about the body differently in our work and and with our work referencing the body in very different ways. And I wonder if you could expand a little bit on on how you think about that with in terms of material. Yeah, totally. And yeah, the body is very present in both of our works. <laughs> um, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it too. Uh, yeah, I think. In my practice, um, I think a lot about what the experience of having a body is like and how it's something that you both have access to, your sensations and, um, and physical processes, and you also don't have access to a lot of it. Like, I don't know what mm. the inside of my body looks like. Certainly, there are tools and that can mediate and help me look at something like the inside of my stomach in theory if I were to go to a doctor but but really on a daily basis we both we like live in this world of access and um and this unknowing which I think is a really strange um a, a strange experience when it's the the material and the place and the self that is most familiar to you so um, using that as a jumping off point um, for for looking at posthumanism, which is this field of study that really um, decenters the human subject and uh, looks at ways in which rather than having a, a like a body with bounded edges, uh, we're more porous, we're full of microbes that are uh, necessary for us to survive. So perhaps we're rather um, an ecosystem or as some say a multitude than a singular organism and how does that shift how we think about the human as being this sort of um, autonomous being that can make decisions and is the driver of our own lives when really we depend on all of these um, you know other creatures to survive so um, so I, I, I think I look at ways to reimagine what the human body looks like and 
um, and some of the materials that I use mimic what the body does. Um, when I'm working with plastics, I'm, I'm sort of, well, I'm thermoforming them in ways where the plastic is heating and responding to gravity and, and, um, slumping or bulging. And, uh, I think about how that reflects how the body maybe responds to gravity. Um, I certainly use silicones or resins to mimic fluids and, um, and the forms that I use often take on, um, shapes that, that challenge ideas of boundaries. They often transgress boundaries in the sculpture. Um, and, and lately using the synthetic materials, uh, you know, I, I think about the origins of these materials and how long they're, they're going to be around and, um, that in relation to geologic time, certainly, uh, our mark as, as the Anthropocene era on, on the earth. And, you know, are we going to have layers of plastics or certainly carbon, um, in years to come that mark, um, our existence and, it seems, it seems like it may be a short existence <laughs> based on the trajectory oh, no. of, of way, the way things are going unless we turn it around. So, um, so yeah, I guess, I, you know, I use material to, to both um, to zoom in and out macroscopically and um, microscopically and um, but at the heart of it, it's it's all about my body's engagement with these materials in the studio and, um, mm -hmm. and trying to translate that into into form that can be felt by the viewers. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Betsy, what about you? Um, <laughs> you, you? It seems like a, a lot of your work, um, the forms allude to the body. And more recently, you even made a piece with a, a cast of a, a, a torso of a figure as a more... Mm -hmm direct reference to the human body I'd love to hear more yeah I was very actually very nervous about putting the body directly in my work because I think it was a way you know I was using I mean to go back to the mushroom <laughs> that I made I was trying to make this mushroom and I realized well I can't that's not that's so far from my project or way of thinking I'm just you know um mimicking and mm -hmm. so I went back to what I had been working with, which was sort of these um, architectural forms and, and reimagining them as, as I, as I did in some of my project-based work, um, sort of stand-ins for the body. And um, so architectural motifs became that, and they were very porous. And it, it, it occurred to me, I mean, this is actually rather recently, I thought about this, um, a memory from graduate school my theory teacher was in the English department. And when we took this great um, history of aesthetics class with her, she was very sick and she missed a lot of classes and the grad student kind of took over sometimes and, and the school was kind of giving her a hard time. But I remember it's something that she said to me and I think I was 26 at the time. She said, you know, it's a strange thing. It's like I'm outside of my body looking at my body and thinking, what is, what are you? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, I mean, at this age, I mean, we're like, you know, 18 years later, I'm thinking about this going, what? <laughs> that's really, 
I, I, I understand that. I mean, I think I'm becoming, uh, uh, in a way, um, a person who's able to understand what that is, because I think a young person doesn't experience that. And so part of this, I mean, it, it's tied to the work that I've been doing for a while, but at the same time, I feel like I understand it in a different way. And so the works that I make that are perforated lace forms, they look very fragile to me. Some people have said that they look actually very strong, like an exoskeleton would, which is interesting to me because I experienced them at once kind of like the porcelain as a material that if you put too much pressure on it or you jolt it or you push it and whatever, it, it, it shatters. But it can be also very strong. And so metaphorically using these infrastructural elements or tools or architectural elements for me began to be like, oh, this is um, an object that supports something that is also, I mean, in some ways also about the built environment and our metaphorical relationship to that, that it isn't going to last, that um, when we think about um, our environment, we imagine it being very stable, but it's not, you know, and much like our own bodies. And what was a kind of a breakthrough for me was casting an arm and putting it in one of my works and just going there and thinking, oh, I put the body actually in it. And does that change? Is it still a metaphor? Can it still be experienced that way? Um, and I think for me, the shift has been a good one because I think I'm getting um, closer to something that's more personal rather than, than it being more general, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. So the, the arm itself, I mean, it was my arm. The torso is not my torso and doesn't have to be. But the arm was my arm and it was really a way for me to step right into it and say, wow, this is this is actually kind of what I've been thinking for a long time. And it's very porous. It's a strong arm, but it's also hollow and it's breakable and it, and it is supported by other industrial materials. So rebar that has also been flocked. So it looks gentle, but it's like rope, but it's not. And there's um, natural elements, which are, in there and they're kind of supporting it too. And that kind of is a nod to the natural environment, dead or alive that we built on, you know, we build on. So it's just, it's, it's complicated, especially in terms of the mixed media works. I think of them as being these constant questions that go between the materials. And part of it is about you recognizing the materials for what they are and having that sort of relationship and then seeing formally what what they do or um, representationally what they represent and and working those that um, relationship out between um, all that and, and it's not narrative it just it's just a, I'm hoping to get to this feeling you know of of sort of feeling those questions about you know, what's, what is really happening here with the materials? If I, I, I'm seeing rebar, but it's also fuzzy and I want to touch it, but it's also, 
it's an industrial, you know, so it's, it's, it's just an interesting idea. I think for mm -hmm. me, it's a, something I'm, I think about, you know, and working out. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, we, we also share this where, uh, I, I often incorporate different material, like construction materials in my work, whether it's like, um, fiberglass insulation, um, <clears throat> or, um, you know, or, or construction pine. Uh, and I think that it, I, I, I see this in your work too, where the rebar becomes, um, and, and what it would support, like some sort of architectural structure, um, that architectural structure then becomes a metaphor for the body. And I do think of buildings as, um, as this sort of existing metaphor for the body. Um, they, they have a flow in and out of, um, of material and matter. I mean, they have electricity runs through like synapses and there's plumbing just like intestines. Um, and in some ways it's a traditional metaphor for the body. And so it can be interesting to use those materials um, as stand-ins for the materiality of bodies. And then within the sculpture, um, complicate that I those traditional sort of metaphors um and I I mean I think that's one of the amazing things about really focusing on material and and sculptures that um you know one material can really do so much what, like if it's insulation you can have this um physical experience with it as a viewer where maybe on first glance, you're responding to the softness and in some cases, I'll pour resin over, um, over that drips over the, the insulation. And so, um, it has this sort of, uh, sensual quality to it. But then when you identify what it is, we, we know that that fiberglass is not something you actually want to touch with your skin. Um, so there's this push and pull of, um, maybe attraction and repulsion to the thing. Um, but then it also can be a stand-in for, um, for fat in a body uh, or um, that which keeps us warm. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that sculpture was initially really exciting to me is that um, the, the material world, which I was already really drawn to and tuned into, opened up with all of this metaphorical possibility and... Um, and and gateways to to other ideas um and so you know i totally see that happening in your work too like that flock to rebar that's <laughs> that's so seductive and so not what you would expect to to have happen with rebar um yeah and then it ties it ties into something as as um banal as you know construction material construction supports so mm -hmm. yeah um, that we don't normally see Mm -hmm. Well, and with your work, I'm interested, too, in how you talk about using these non-traditional materials or and various synthetic materials that call attention to a complicated beauty of them. Mm -hmm. Because people recognize that these materials are all around them. I mean, it's interesting. We be, I think, worthwhile for someone to see a material in an artwork and realize that it's in their walls of their house. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that beauty is, um, 
you know, it's ever, it's ever shifting and, um, and we can use it as, as artists, as a tool to, uh, to draw attention to where culture currently assigns value or, or doesn't, you know, I think there's, um, you know, there's this tradition of thinking that beauty is this bad thing, but really it's, it, it is, it's a tool and how you decide to use it really is how one should judge <laughs> the merit of, of the use of beauty in a particular work. So, um, hmm. so yeah, when things that you don't expect to be beautiful, um, like rebar or a, a construction material do become beautiful, I mean, that could be a strategy for pulling the viewer in and getting them to comp uh, contemplate um, the insides of their houses, the, the, the insides of their bodies. I was going to say, it's, it, with, uh, in relationship to agency, the idea of agency, too, with material. I mean, it occurs to me as you're talking about this. I mean, it, it goes beyond, oh, you're a woman working with some traditional sculpture materials or traditional sculpture uh, skills with non-traditional materials but the agency actually seems to me to be in the material or reflected in the use of the material yeah I mean I think a lot about um, new materialism and um, you know I just assigned a, a Jane Bennett reading from vibrant matter to my students for this material project um, and thinking about the ways that materials act on us just as much as we act on them. You know, why are we attracted to these materials? And I mean, if you think about water, even as a material, uh, we orient, I mean, of course, we're made up of water, but we also orient our days around consuming and expelling water. And um, and and so these materials are, are shaping us absolutely as much as we think we're shaping them. Um if one is attracted to or repulsed by a particular material, that's very important information. Um, and, and thinking about how that material is exerting its own power over us, not in an anthropomorphic way, but, um, mm -hmm. again, decentering the human subject. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it seems like that mushroom for you, Betsy was like, I mean, as you said, it, it just destroyed you. <laughs> and, and that, mushroom had an incredible amount of power over your current trajectory um without it intending to but uh but it was pivotal um in, in your in your studio practice a turn in your studio practice well one in which i was already facing complications you know like i i, I think what the mushroom did was just kind of you know smash through the frustration that I was already understanding or maybe not even the frustration, but just the inability to focus and mm -hmm. looking at the, even though the mushroom didn't solve anything for me, looking at it immediately, it wasn't, it, it just brought up a, a, a clear question, which is why the hell are you making? Mm -hmm. What, what are you doing? And I think that those questions, I just had to come back to those questions. And I mean, it's, I mean, I almost, for a long time, I felt stupid about talking about that mushroom because I don't, it really doesn't have any connection to my imagery. Um, maybe it has a somewhat connection to some of the concepts I'm working with, but in a very sort of tangential way. So it, it just, <laughs> it was just kind of a weird thing. But I, you know, I find 
I found myself being obsessed by it. Mm-hmm. And I still and I still go back to it. I still look at those images, especially when I'm talking about kind of where I am. And, and it, it kind of helps me come back to where to to where I need to keep asking questions in my work because I'm a person who gets very bored um, easily. And so to be also to be working with materials in the studio in a way that um is is a developing story is somewhat actually new to me because doing project-based work for so many years I just went from project to project and I I reacted and that's great and you can actually have a common thread through all of those reactions because you are you but it's just it was a very different way of thinking about your your direction in sculpture you know, or thinking about you yourself in a place. So it, it just came back to, I don't know, thinking about being in the studio. That's pretty mm-hmm. much what it comes down to. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what you described as project-based work? Because it occurs to me that in studio courses, that's essentially what we're doing is we're <laughs> yeah. creating these, these prompts that are all project-based and we're working next to each other, and that's not the reality of most working artists, um, what you experience in school. And, and so is it a material that somehow transcends project-based work? Is that what you're describing, that you've been kind of exploring rebar and porcelain? Is that how you moved out of what you describe as project-based? Or what shifted, what changed? Reacting to a set of parameters, whether it be site specificity or an um, particular outdoor exhibition or some kind of program, reacting to that with material rather than reacting to material with with some questions that parallel those materials and then they kind of come together and they, they grow together. That's the difference. Well, I can relate too because I, I think I mean I when you get uh, an invitation, for example, to participate in an exhibition that has a particular theme, and should you choose to accept the adventure, <laughs> um, the work ends up um, responding to that prompt, and sometimes I find that that takes me out of the flow of what's happening in the studio, and it can be both a good and a bad thing. I mean. I certainly like when I am doing these more specific projects, um, I definitely discover things and push myself in ways that I wouldn't um, otherwise. Um, But there's a different sort of investigation that happens when the pieces are building off of each other in the studio in a more, I mean, not exactly linear, but sequential way. Um, And I I am feeling a, a strong desire to spend time in that space for a more extended period of time lately. And I mean, really over the past few years. Um, and, and maybe that's about maturing as an artist and becoming more clear about what it is that I'm interested in and what drives my practice and wanting to spend as much time in that space as possible. Um, yeah, it feels more like a, a seasonal, uh, not tied to the actual seasons, but 
you know, the seasons of one's practice. And, and that, that sort of feels like the space that I'm in as well. I think, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't mean to put project-based work in a certain light. I, what I'm saying is it was a strategy for me because I was an artist in New York. Mm-hmm. It was easier for me to go to places or respond to certain needs. And I had, you know, I had my own questions about, you know, my work was using ephemeral energies and I was interested in in people experiencing um, their bodies actually through my sculptures doing something. So for instance, uh, one of the last project-based works I did was I went to the Herkimer Diamond Mine in Herkimer, New York, which is a tourist trap, and people pay $9 and they get a pair of goggles and a hammer and they go out and they just hammer on these rocks all day looking for these little stones. And I just thought it was so hilarious, but there's also something poetic about that because you couldn't pay these people to do that, Mm -hmm. but they would pay to do it for some reason because it was just the, the, the challenge of finding something. It was like looking for treasure. And so I made a piece that responded to that because I wanted to sort of figure out for myself what that, what was poetic about that, about that labor, about the people exerting their energies out in the middle of a diamond mine and all day, you know, with little water. (laughs) And, and I thought that was hilarious, but also poetic. And I just made a a hammer that was solar powered that hammered all day. Uh And I remember that piece. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's still for me, that piece was just a, it didn't feel like it captured that poetry. It only captured the action and maybe the absurdity. Um, <clears throat> and in being solar powered, it sort of spoke to that sort of endless, you know, day after day, um, you know, ability to work or, you know, it just really for me was supposed to be a conversation piece that would connect me more to somebody, you know, there, you know, so I was hoping if I was out there with this thing that somebody would come by and they would say, what the hell is this? You know, or what are you doing? And it didn't happen and it didn't happen. People just ignored me and thought I was weird. And then all of a sudden one day this guy comes up and he says, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I made this hammer. I had explained I'm an artist and in that sculpture space and whatever. And he said he was a professional gem finder and he had just found this giant pocket of crystals. So he showed me the, um, and he's, I took a video of him pulling all of these gems out of the side of the hill. And it just occurred to me that, you know, all these people are looking for treasure and he was very actually seriously looking for treasure. Like this was his bread and butter. He was a professional gem finder and he has stuck had staked a claim in this I realized and and we talked a little bit and I said do you make a living doing this and he said sure well sometimes you know I have collectors I go to shows I show my gems and I go to place to place and look for these and it just there was this parallel art life Mm -hmm. that kind of blew my mind you know Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah you're looking for this and I'm looking for something like we're both looking for something. I mean, they're very different kinds of things, but their ideas, the ideas of Muse 
just really struck me. So then that led me to go through this sort of tailspin in my studio. And then I found the mushroom. And then that was just kind of like, oh, okay, I found this thing. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I think if I could say anything about the difference is, in some ways, project-based work kind of is a different way of working, a different way of engaging with the world. And I think my mater- the material for me that I'm working with now is just, a, I had to slow down and think about what I wanted to make and what I wanted to find. And I think that's kind of is part of it, like finding things instead of just kind of casting these, you know, sort of wide nets and not really getting everything from them before I moved on to the next thing. That's what it started to feel like. And I was always engineering, you know, and it was funny. My uncle made fun of me because he said, you're just like your dad. You're an engineer. And not that that was a bad thing, but I just sort of thought, oh, that's. Yeah, you know, I wanted it to be more art related instead of these tools <laughs> mm-hmm. so I just had to go back I guess I, I felt like I went off on a trajectory that was interesting but in the end I had I had to come back and say what what do I really what am I looking for mm-hmm. you know and and all of the problems that you talked about Kate with materials you know and I think this is a prescient conversation in our time it's complicated to be a sculptor and make things mm-hmm. because we're using materials and we're using fossil fuels and we're using all of these techniques and and tools that make um you know that that are part of the problem so how do we you know I mean I can't I can't say that we can solve that but what you know we have to ask ourselves like what how do we get through that right absolutely yeah and I certainly think about it in my own practice especially with this shift to using things that are more synthetic and um and I think about the way that, you know, these objects hopefully are not single-use plastic objects uh, and can speak to some of the problems that arise from something like single-use plastics. But then what are my ethical responsibilities when I'm in the classroom to teach students about how to handle material and think about the afterlife of that material? And um, how do they how do they operate in a way that aligns with their values and what what should those values be if we if we want to survive as a species so it's a yeah it's a it's a tough question that requires multiple answers you know it's almost like if you're an artist and you're producing things what else are you doing in your life to offset that footprint (laughs) that's that's part of the way that I rationalize it and but yeah, it's still, it's a conundrum. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a really great conversation. We appreciate oh, thank it. you, Josh. And Thanks, Bessie, Josh. yeah, I so enjoyed chatting. This was, this was really great.